Welcome back to another episode of the Battle Buddy Podcast. If you have a service-connected disability or you think you might have a service-connected disability, then today you need to pay attention to what my guest has to say. We all know that the VA system can be a little clunky to navigate, and that might be the understatement of the year. But today I've got a guest on who is a veteran service officer. We're going to just dive right into all kinds of things about going through the claims process and all kinds of things you need to know. So if you think that uh, you need to file a claim or you're going through a claim or you're just interested in this information, you want to hang on and check out this podcast episode. Welcome to the Battle Buddy Podcast with Keith McKeever. Welcome to the show, Clayton. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me, Dean. Yeah. So go ahead and give us a little bit of a, a backstory of who you are. Yeah, so my name's Clay Sims. Um, I started the Civ Div YouTube channel. Prior to that, I was in the Marine Corps for 10 years. Um, did in- infantry my first five years. Then my next five years, I lat moved into psychological operations. I've been out since 2019 and uh, pretty much been working for the government in different capacities and doing my own thing. Awesome. And so how did you get into, you know, the the VSO types, you know, all that stuff? How, how did that all come about for you? Yeah, so um, I I started the YouTube first. I was like, hey, I had some friends that had some uh, bad personal experiences with for-profit companies. Surprise, I was like, surprise. You know what? Yeah, I was like, you know what? I think I could do that, but for free. Um, and one of the things I pride myself on is veteran benefits. We've already earned them, right? They're already earned. Now you just have to get them adjudicated. And so I this um, I had a sour taste in my mouth hearing that companies were taking advantage of I guess veteran ignorance to the process, and so I started the YouTube. Once I started YouTube, a veteran service organization called Del K Graham, they ended up reaching out to me, um, and um, I became a volunteer for an accredited VSO, and so I can help um, I can help veterans process claims. I submit their claim to a claims writer who then submits that claim. And then um, I also create content for not just CivDiv, but I also create content for Del K. Graham's social media page as well. And it's all around informing and educating veterans for free. Awesome. Well, kind of like what I said in, in the opening, like the VA is a system. It is clunky. It is a mess. It is... Um, like you said, like we've earned it as veterans. So sometimes it's kind of like to paint a picture. It's like connecting the dots. Yeah, like exactly. You've earned it. You just kind of have to connect the dots and navigate through the system. And it sucks. It's painful. <laughs> it, oh, yeah, it is it what does. it is. Like there's no other way to put it. Like there's no there's no way to spin it into a positive experience. Not at all. So the VA is bound. There's a reason for that, right? We can't. Every veteran can't claim PTSD, okay? It has to be based and grounded in evidence. And so what law, the VA is guided by law and policy, and every decision they make is by the 38 CFR. And so you have to abide by policy and kind of say, hey, I have this disability. I have this ailment. It's connected to service because of X, Y, and Z. And you kind of have to draw the dots. You know, you have to connect the dots um, for the VA for that to happen. And the issue is no one goes to medical while they're in service, right? You don't want to be that guy, okay? You don't want to be that guy that lets your squad down um, because if you don't show up to the field exercise, 
um, your responsibilities don't go away, right? They just get put on someone else. And so now there's that stigma of not going to medical. And that's where just that one factor is where you see a lack of medical evidence start to take over. And now you have trouble connecting the dots, so to speak. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, and both systems have a place, right? Like the mission has to continue when you're in the military. The system is there for a reason. The mission has to continue. The job has to be done. Oh, yeah. It's just like the VA. Like you have to have guidelines. We should all understand that as veterans. There, there should be some guide rails, right? <laughs> like, think about the E4 Mafia, right? You know, like there should be some sort of guide rails. You don't just put a bunch of E4s in a room and not expect things to get fucked up. <laughs> oh, yeah. The VA is not a barracks lawyer, right? It's an actual department of the government. Right? Exactly. So, like, you know, there should be some rules and some guidelines and some processes to go through. But, you know, I mean, I don't know how many people work for the VA, but it's, it is a huge organization and lots of money pumped into it. And there's steps and processes. And, yeah, your file's going to end up on people's desks. And there's only so many people. And there's so many claims. And I, I don't want to skip ahead, but, you know, like, when you have new legislation like the PAC Act, and oh, then yeah. you have so many people that qualify, I'm sure they just got to have massively just flooded with incoming claims. So, like, what could have been hypothetically three months to go through a process could be six months, nine months, a year now. So, like, like I said, I don't want to jump ahead into another no, topic. You're, but you're, like, you hit it right on the head. Right. So, so with the introduction of the PACT Act, I think the average claim right now is 104 days. At least that's what the, what's on the VA site. Um, but that was prior to January when the PACT Act went into effect. But now that it is January, um, as of this recording, um, since the PACT Act is in effect, now we have all these claims to be adjudicated. That's And claims don't go away. So now we just have more claims um, to adjudicate. So now that 104 days might turn into 500 days. Who, who knows, right? I can only imagine what happened to people's desks. So I'm, I know it's you know probably <laughs> digital, but just just imagine like somebody's got like a stack like this on their desk, and all of a sudden somebody just knocks on, uh, hey, hey, uh, yes. here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what happened. Yeah, like I can just imagine the uh, the the feeling of looking at that. Like, well, I guess I got plenty of work to do. Oh, yeah. I, I oh, guess yeah. for the employees at the VA, it's job security, right? It is. It is. We as and, veterans um, are keeping them gainfully employed for the foreseeable future. Yeah. And just for – I always try to stay away from, like, VA bashing, okay? Um, if you want to bash the VA, you can go in a Facebook group and bash the VA all you want, right? Um, but they're, most of the people that work for the VA are veterans anyways, and I genuinely – I guess I choose to believe that they're not out here um, – messing with veterans claims right it's just a process there's a knowledge to that process and at some point there's a lot of disconnects between the veteran and the va and um but yeah i'm definitely not bashing the va but they have their work cut out for them right i agree I, i'm the same way i try not to bash them sometimes it may seem like it's kind of negative but oh yeah oh yeah, yeah there, like, there is a lot of veterans and their hands are tied too like they can only do so much like they may read somebody's you know, they may be a raider and they may read something and may be like, hey, man, I really feel like, you know, on paper, like I really feel for what I'm seeing in this claim. But I'm not, you know, I have to play by the rules. Like yeah. they have a job to do. Like they may be like, man, this seems like this person's really gone through some shit. Like <laughs> I, I really wish I could give them 50 percent for this. But from what I see, I can only give 30 
Or yeah, they're then, bound right? by law and policy, right? So they're very constricted. And so if you give the VA any reason um, for a lower rating or no rating, they, they legally have to accept that evidence, right? It would be illegal if they're like, you know what, we're going to ignore that piece of the evidence, and then we're going to give you 50%. It just wouldn't be illegal. Yeah, you know, I mean, and I think that's an important thing to maybe highlight that some people don't understand is everything has these guidelines, and I love calling it VA math, but like, correct me if I'm wrong, almost everything had goes on a scale of 0, 10, 30, 50. I don't know if anything goes into a 20% disability. So it's each disability is very different, right? So mental okay. health is 10, 30, 50, 70, 100. Okay. Where like your back could be 10, 20, 40, 60, 100. So there's definitely, there's no comparison okay. there. It's just bound, it's whatever's dictated by the 38 CFR. Okay. But that CFR states for yes. each one of those percentages, there are certain specifications like, like I happen to know, like, like joint issues like knees and ankles and hips and stuff like that. Like they take measurements and mm -hmm. like you have to be within certain ranges of motion of what, whatever. I don't know. I'm no, definitely no doctor, but like it has to fit on whatever, like, and if it's in or out of that determines like what percentage you get and all the scientific stuff. So like, there's no, yeah, no, that's, there's exactly, no argument. I guess that's science. exactly how they do it. Yeah. So when it comes to knees, like, act like my knuckles, my knee right now, how, what is the degree that you can flex it? Or I'm sorry, what is the degree that you can flex it? And what's the degree that you can extend it? And they will do some math and combine those angles together. And pain is a part of that, right? If you have pain, if you need a brace, that's a minimum 10%. But in addition to that, okay, so you can only flex 30 degrees and you can extend 45 degrees. And there's some math that goes into that. And they'll say, boom, hey, you got 10%. Like, all right. Cool. Yeah. And that's where the that's where the VA math comes in funny. Yeah. That's why I try, you know, it's really funny trying to explain it to civilians. Um when, when it's like, oh yeah, you know, like you could be you could be like, oh yeah, well, I have a I don't know, just I have a disability that's uh let's just say 10% and I have another one that's 10% and I have a 50% and a and a 30% and a 20% and I'm still rated at 40%, just hypothetically, you know? Yeah. And they'd be like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's VA math. Don't ask. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's government math. <laughs> yeah, the, the best – yeah, exactly. Go, 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 government math is a good example. The best way I try to explain VA math is at 90%. If you're at a hard 90%, so not 86, not 94, you're at 90, there's 10% left to 100. I think we can all understand that, right? Yeah, so, that's simple math. That's not yeah, VA. Yeah, yeah. There's 10% left. And so now you're dealing with 10%. So if you have another 50% disability that comes into play, it's 50% of that 10%. So, so you're half, only getting a 95%. Yeah, so now you're looking at 5% because half of 10. But correct me if I'm wrong, five. once you hit that 95%, then you round up to 100. Boom. Exactly. Okay. And so if you're at a hard 90, you need 50 more percent to get to 100 because they're going to round up. Gotcha. I did know that of the rounding rule, uh, which, you know, may confuse some people. Like if you look at certain calculators or some things online, like you can play with things. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so that is something good to know. Like if you're doing the math and you're like, oh, I'm only going to be at like 88 percent. No, you're, they're going to round you up to 90. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. So. 
Or if you don't get up to 94, sorry, you're screwed. You're at still yeah. 90. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, <laughs> you better go back and find something else. So why that really matters though is let's say you're at let's say you're at 88%, okay? And you want to claim tinnitus, but you've been denied. Tinnitus is only 10%. And so you you do the VA math yourself, you're only going to be at 89% which at the end of the day, nothing changed because you're getting paid at 90%. And so now you have to ask yourself, am I really going to go out to a private doctor, get an independent medical opinion? Am I going to pay for this service to have the same result, right? Um, and so that's really when it comes in that, that cost-benefit analysis saying, hey, am I really going to fight for this? Like, is it going to change my overall rating? Or do I just keep complaining about it to VA healthcare I don't, I don't claim it yet because nothing changed, right? Would you say that typically that conversation should come into people when they're at that 90% mark? Because I know that the biggest jump is that 90 to 100. Oh, yeah. No, ex you're exactly right. The more you have, the more you have to really weigh out, is this worth it, right? So if you're at 90%, the only things you want to claim are things that are going to push you to 100 if it's not going to push you to 100, um, personally, I would recommend you don't claim it. You absolutely you, you absolutely can if you want to, right? There's no harm in that. Um, but personally, I, I wouldn't claim it. I would still go to VA healthcare and say, hey, my knees still bother me. Hey, I have ringing in my ears, right? Because just in case you have enough evidence one day that does pushes you to 100, now you have this trail of medical evidence. Yeah, saying, build the paper hey, trail. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Yeah, I was just gonna. I was just thinking that as you were starting to say that, I was like, yeah, at least build the paper trail, because you know it is it is a big uphill battle. It's you know once you get to you know probably 70, 80, 90 percent, you've got a lot, probably a lot of things stacked on each other. You could have oh, yeah. one disability that stacks up to that, or you could probably have. I would guess most people probably have seven, eight, nine various things yeah, i think most of us have a little bumps and bruises along the way there a couple oh yeah 10 percent here and there probably all of us have tinnitus i know i do that was that was lovely when i took that test she goes you have ringing in the ears i'm like what's it sound like yeah she, she was trying to explain it i'm like well hell yeah like i've had that for <laughs> oh yeah because oh, yeah. that's tinnitus i'm like that's what that is like <laughs> okay i was just thought it was weird yeah anyway but um so Anyway, back to back to the, the main questions I had. That was good stuff. But uh, how does somebody go about getting their benefits in the first place? Okay, so let's do some time scenarios, right? So yeah. that we, we let, let's hit everybody in the in no matter what age you're at or where you're at in your career, we can hit them all. So let's start with your active duty. If you're active duty in a very perfect world, I would say one year before you get out of the military, you go to medical, right? All those times you didn't go to medical in the past because you didn't want to let your squad down or let your unit down, that's out the window, right? Now you're focused on, hey, I'm leaving in a year. I need to focus on me. And so one year you're going to medical, but VA disability claims for active duty can't start until you're 180 days out. So that's really the first time frame, which is six months out. Build the paper trail. I mean, what are they going to do? Kick you out? Yeah, exactly. Year, or or you get me medically retired and now you're like, all right, cool beans, right? Okay. Yeah. But the very first time frame is that 180 days when you're active duty. Step one is find a VSO, a veteran service organization. Um, since you're active duty, 
depending on where you're at. If you're in the States, there's definitely going to be a VSO on post, on base, right? And so you could just set up an appointment, have that appointment. If not, any type of VFW, um, DAV, Disabled American disabled Veterans, American veterans yeah, yeah. is a huge organization. Any accredited VSO, um, that's step one. Step I think two, the American Legion sometimes has them. Yep, and, yeah, absolutely. Uh, at least here in Illinois, I think most of the counties have a, a VSO. I know I, mine is at, at my local county. There's like yep. uh, like seven or eight people in the in the office there. Absolutely. So there's county VSOs and then there's accredited VSOs. Um, I will say this though. When you hear VSO, it's just veteran service organization. And there are thousands of VSOs across the nation. Okay. There's only about, I want to say 40, give or take a few accredited VSOs with the VA. So for instance, a nonprofit VSO that does hikes to prevent veteran suicide, right? That's a VSO, but that has nothing to do with being an accredited VSO by the VA, right? Accredited VSOs file VA disability claims. That's who you want to find. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So that's step one, 180 days out, find a VSO. You're going to file a claim. It's called a BDD claim, benefits delivery at discharge. Honestly, it doesn't matter what it's called. If you just find a VSO, they'll take care of the rest, right? <laughs> oh, so, yeah. I mean, I know when I, I I did mine initially when I got out, but I did one a year and a half ago, and I went and sat down with them because it had been like 10 years. Oh, yeah. Like, All right, well, tell me what's happened in the last 10 years, you know, kind Good. of thing. It was like, mm -hmm. walk me back. What's happened in the last 10 years medically, you know, all these kind of things. So, like, that's the kind of things that my county VSO did. Oh, yeah. That's a that's a, that's a solid sign that, that, that he's a good VSO, right? Um, so that, that's the first time frame, 180 days out. The next time frame is within one year after you leave the military. That one year is crucial because that's when your back pay starts. So if you file a claim within that first year, you're going to get back pay to the date that you got out, right? We all want back pay. When that back pay uh, check hits your bank account, you're going to be like, yes, this is awesome. Steak dinner on everything <laughs> for the whole yeah. family. Yep. Um, but in addition to that one year time frame, there's these things called presumptive conditions. And presumptive just means, hey, the VA assumes this came from service. Tinnitus is one of them. If you're diagnosed with tinnitus within one year of getting out, it's automatic. You have service connection, which is good. Okay. That's what you want. And so that it's, um, I guess to, to put it, to give you a good example, if you have back pain within that first year and you claim it, it's very hard for the VA to say, hey, that didn't come from service. This came from the last two months you've been out. Like, really, I was in the wrinkle for 10 years. You can't tell me the last two months I got back pain. Okay. Well, it's so a fine record. You were in a, a bad car accident. Like, yeah, month exactly. Before, or something like that. Like, but that know, first year yeah. is crucial versus the opposite. Let's say five years go by and you're like, hey, my, my back hurts. Now the VA is like, well, you've been out for five years. You know, what the hell can... have you been doing in the last five years? Been you've been jumping yeah. out of airplanes as a hobby, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Extreme they, they're sports. Gonna, legally, yeah. they're bound to to investigate. Hey, did this back? Does this back pain correlate to that five years you've been out? And you just want to take that option away from them, right? So within that first year is probably I would say the second best time to file a claim, right? Now. Let's talk about everything from one year on, okay? And so now we're talking about you've been out for a year and a half to you've been out for 20 years and you served in Vietnam. All this is in the same bubble, okay? And now when you do submit a claim, you're fighting the time gap. 
And in a very perfect world, when you do submit a claim after you've been out of service for a long time, you want medical evidence. But again, it goes back to what we said earlier, right? How many people don't go to medical while they're in? And so now not only are you fighting a time gap, but more than likely you have a lack of evidence. And that's really when you see independent medical opinions and nexus letters be considered to um, be awarded your claim because that's just you you lack medical evidence. And so that's that's pretty much the three phases of VA disability claims. Right, because it it takes three things for the connection, you know, for a service connection. Yes, it does. What are yeah. what are those three things? For yeah. So you need an in-service event. That's that's number one. In-service event could be like a, a deployment. It could be very generic like that. It could also be, you know, an extreme scenario. You saw combat. You saw someone die. Um, but outside of combat, it could also be a car accident. Hey, I was active duty. I was in a car accident. It could be an off-duty car accident, or it could be like a car accident in a training exercise. Either would be okay. But for this disability to develop, something had to happen, right? They don't just come out of nowhere. Um, and so you need that stressor. You need that in-service event. The second thing you need is a net is a service connection. And you can break service connection down into two things, either medical evidence in service. That's picture perfect. That's gold, right? Or you lack medical evidence in service. So now you need a nexus letter saying, hey, my PTSD came from service although there's no medical records of that, right? And so you have in-service event, service connection, and then the third thing is a current and chronic diagnosis. Meaning, if you, let's say you did have medical evidence of your back pain hurting from service, which is gold, right? That's what we want, that's good. But 20 years go by, you never submitted a claim, you never went to talk to your doctor about it, you never complained about it, and 20 years later, you try to submit that claim, the VA is gonna say, hey, you have no current diagnosis, right? Obviously, it didn't hurt you that bad for the last 20 years, so now this claim's denied. And so you need those They're going to ask a lot of point oh, yeah. questions in, in, in those appointments. Oh, yeah. And the thing about those three things is if you're missing one of those, your claim, without a doubt, will be denied, right? So theoretically speaking, because we are informed and educated veterans – when we submit a claim, if you can identify those three things and make it clear to the VA, you're going to win your claim every single time. It's when these three are missing that claims get denied. That's a good point. So that that's really what everybody should be looking at with their VSO. Breaking Absolutely. down, hey, what do I want to claim? And then breaking each one of those down. And okay, like I know with my VSO, he, he went and got my medical records, you know, and it was like, okay, all right, I see, you know this, that, and there, and I'm, you know, so making that connection and this, that, and the other, I mean, luckily for some people, like if you deploy to Iraq or Afghanistan or something else like that, like you're, you're pretty well set. You can oh, pretty yeah. much, you can just pretty much be like, Hey, I was deployed once or twice or five times or 10 times or whatever, <laughs> you know, like just do that, which is kind of funny when they start asking questions, when does it start hurting? Yeah. Because they're like, you know, because I'll take it, you know, to, to my case, like, you know, they start asking like knee pain, like, I don't know, like sometime on that deployment. Can you tell a month? No. 
Yeah, and it's like, totally like okay to be like, generic too. It was right? like fourteen months, ago, like fourteen years ago. Like I, I, I don't know. Like I was here from this date to this date. Like sometime in there, like I was young and dumb and jumped out of the back of five tons every day with, yeah. with all this body armor on. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Like, yeah, no, I wasn't the brightest at twenty-one years old. I don't think any of us were. But yeah, I mean, they're going to ask a lot of pointed questions like that, and the longer you're out, the harder it is to be like. You're gonna oh, feel yeah. stupid in those in those interview questions when they start asking those. So, oh yeah. So when when, when you say they, you're talking about CMP examiners, right? Yeah, the CMP examiners. Yeah, yeah. when they're, they're asking these pointed questions and they're like, like I don't I don't know, like I don't know exactly what month. Yeah. So CMP examiners, they have two jobs to do. They need to identify how severe your symptoms are, right? Saying, hey, you can only bend your knee this far. That's the severity of the symptom, or like a pain level. That's their first job. Their second job is to establish service connection. So you're right. They are going to ask you, when did you get this knee pain? And I'm telling you, if you say anything but from the military, denied, right? Oh, yeah. They're going to write it all down. Hey, you know, um, yeah, I heard it on this deployment, um, but really two years ago, um, I broke it in my civilian life. They're going to be like, that sucks, dude. Denied, right? (laughs) It's like you really got to navigate um those cmp exam questions and just be specific don't give the va any reason to deny your claim hey it happened on this deployment right i jumped out of a seven time okay that's it yeah exactly you know how was it worded to me like my vso was like look these people are going to try and be friendly and they're going to try to get you to open up and they're going to try like he's like you know don't lie obviously but like if, if they can try to get you to say something and they can take it out of context, they will. Oh yeah. Like if you, like, like you said, like a car accident or something like that, or like, you know, Oh, your knee hurts. You got into a car accident. Your shoulder hurt from that. Hmm. Maybe your knee hurt from that too. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, you know, it's like loose lips sink ships kind of thing. Like just they, answer they, the question they, yeah. point blank. So what, when, when did this start hurting? Uh, you know, it was on, you know, I remember it was my first deployment. It was this year. We were deployed between this month and this month, you know, sometime during that. I, I couldn't tell you exactly when. And that's it. Oh, Shut yeah. up. Don't try to elaborate and come up, you know, be like, you know, gosh, I remember this exact th- thing, you know, like this one day that I did this or that, like just make it as, as simple point f- and, and whatnot as possible. So. Uh, but we should probably should back that up, like you said, because this, the, the CMP exams. So once you fill out the paperwork and you submit it to the VA, you're going to mm-hmm. wait <laughs> weeks yep. and weeks. And then a company is going to call you, one of probably a handful of companies they use, and they're going to schedule for you for exams. And then you're going to have to probably drive, like like I did, like three hours to go take an exam someplace that's a 25-minute exam and then drive three hours back. Uh, you know, and you're going to have to do that probably two or three times, depending on how many claims you have to do. And you're going to go see these independent doctors and these little shopping malls. Yeah. yeah, It's a hospital clinic. These little hole in the wall places all over the place. Like you're looking for the address and there's nothing posted on the wall, you know, on the building. You're like, where the hell am I? But you know, so that's the process. Like you put in the paperwork, these companies call you, they're farming it out. However, they're paying these, these people to do it, but that's, they are doctors and medical professionals with specialty experience and they're the ones actually doing this and interviewing you and 
asking these questions. So oh, yeah. that's so, kind of a probably an important step to, no, to it highlight. Is, it is. Then they, they give all that back to the VA and a person at the VA makes that rating decision, correct? Exactly. You, you explained it perfectly. Okay. Um, there are three. So it, it's a contracting company. It's, it's a government okay. contract to what it is. There's three companies that do C&P exams for the VA. It's one's QTC. I don't know what all these stands for. One's QTC, one's VES, and the last one is LHI. So if you have a C&P exam, it's going to come from one of those three. It can also come from the VA itself, but um, more than likely the VA is booked up, which is why the government contract exists in the first place, right? They kind of supplement that. And I've gone through two of those. <laughs> how I how I explain yeah how I explain CMP exams is one the CMP exam is not the VA, it's a it's a private contract with the government right, and so bashing a CMP examiner is not bashing the the VA. I'll tell you this about let's just talk about government contracts real quick. Okay, the government does not pay top dollar for anything. What? Okay? Yeah, you're kidding. And so I think I think you know what I'm implying here, right? Um, you're not you're not getting the bee's knees, best world psychiatrist. You're not um, getting the uh, the valedictorian of the of the medical yeah, school yeah. class, huh? Oh, exactly. Okay. And um, and really, so I, I say that to kind of build up what I'm about to say is that CMP examiner probably sees what 10, 12 people a day, and let's say you you have you have your whole case and your whole medical files, your medical records. So let's say you did 10, 15 years in the military. You're telling me that examiner spent 20 minutes looking at all your evidence, asking you all these questions, and then putting a detailed medical opinion within that 20, 30 minute time frame. And I mean, it is what it is, right? And so that's another, that's another reason that will push veterans to get an independent medical opinion. To where CMP examiner sees 10, 12 veterans a day, and the independent medical opinion will spend all day, eight hours a day, writing one letter, right? And so those are just some some nuances that uh, that people don't don't really understand, right? You know, I never really thought about that. Like I, <laughs> you know, I just went to those appointments and I'm like, okay, hey, they're qualified medical professionals. They're doing their thing. They submit their report to the raters at the VA. Okay, but I never really thought about the fact that. They're getting paid to do it, whatever they're getting paid, but they probably are at the very least seeing a handful a week. Yeah. In addition to whatever other caseload and patients that they have on their, their normal business. So they're probably maybe spending at most an hour. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, for sure. 15, 20, maybe 30 minutes of prep work. Well, maybe two hours total. You know, 15, 20 minutes of prep work, reading through your stuff, whatever the VA sends them. You know, I had some of them that I would drive literally three hours and I'm in there for 15 minutes. Yeah. And then they would ask like 10 questions. And okay, I think that's all I got. Like that also assumes they are doing the prep work, right? Oh, that does. Exactly. And then, how many and times do you walk into an appointment and you're like, they ask you questions. You're like, dude, I know you didn't read my evidence because that's in there, right? <laughs> it's yeah, exactly. So, I mean. I never really, I never really thought about it. You know, I just, you just kind of go through the motions. And you don't really think about, you just assume that they're qualified people doing the best that they can, but. On, on the other, on the other side of the coin, because I, I, I don't want to bash them too hard. Right. They are, you're right. They are, they're anywhere from nurse practitioners to medical doctors. Right. Um, and so that's, 
if you need your claim adjudicated or if you ha- if you do submit a VA disability claim, you're going to see a CMP examiner. And I don't want to, you know, fear monger saying all CMP examiners suck, right? If you have the evidence, the VA can't ignore evidence. And so the CMP examiner makes their opinion. But at the end of the day, a VA rater is going to make that dis- decision. So don't, uh, you know, don't be spooked by CMP examiners. Um, but that, if you are denied, right, you really want to know why you were denied and see if your evidence can kind of combat that decision. That's a good point. And we also need to realize that they are people too. And yeah. there's a reason that they're taking all these jobs. They may be veterans themselves, and it may not be about the money. It may just be their way of being able to do these exams. And obviously they have to play within the rules as well, but it may be their opportunity to just play a part in helping veterans get benefits they deserve. You know, I had I had one or two that I went to that I knew they were veterans. You know, you could see the signs in the office. Mm-hmm. And it was like, like, okay, like at least they understand me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they're they're probably not going to completely dismiss anything that I say. They're going to listen to me, at least, you know, anything that I have to say. So people should keep that in mind too. They are no, people, no. they are doing a job. They may be doing it for the right reasons. They may, you know. There could be out people out there doing it for the wrong reasons and just trying to collect a paycheck from the government. But if they're if they're doing it to try and collect a paycheck from the VA, they probably re- ought to reevaluate their income producing activities. Oh yeah, no, you're you're, you're absolutely <laughs> right though, right? There are good VSOs, and to be honest with you, there's bad VSOs, right? You might go ha- find a VSO to help you submit your claim and find out that he's dog shit. You're like, what do I do? Step one: find a new VSO, right? Same thing yep. with CMP examiners. There are good CMP examiners. There are some that are better than others. We'll, we'll just we'll just say that, okay? And um, yeah, you're right. They may be doing it for the right reasons. They may be in debt for two hundred grand to pay for their med school, right? And so <laughs> exactly. they got to make money. Like they're 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 people too, right? So and I'm sure uh, you know you know if you go to like a local VSO who they may also know who some of those CMP examiners are and may know like hey this person you know if they you know send you to this person person a versus person b like person a is going to be more favorable for the (laughs) to go to versus person b like your outcome is 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 better so i mean i'm sure there's something to that too oh yeah oh yeah the, the vso might know that they might have their work cut out for them on an appeal if it goes to you know, CMP examiner B <laughs> versus yeah. A. Oh, yeah. So yeah, there's, there's, there's some things there. So, I mean, that's why it's important to have a good VSO and maybe, you know, talk to them, interview them, make sure that everybody clicks, that they communicate well and that they, you know, know what they're talking about and that you're comfortable and go, go through the process. So I'll, I'll, I'll tell you right now how you find a good VSO or a bad VSO. Right. And you can find out in the first three minutes of meeting some of meeting a VSO if you walk in that office and they're like, hey, what do you want to claim? And you just say, I have no, I'm completely ignorant on the process. I don't know. And then they spend like five minutes saying, all right, we're going to submit this. We're going to submit that. We're going to submit that. That's a bad VSO, right? Oh, yeah. Just like a, you know, just like picking and choosing for you. Like, yeah. Like it, it. Yeah. Or not explaining bad. that versus your case that you described earlier saying, I went to a VSO. He asked me, hey the last 10 years, tell me about your medical history. That right there, within the first 10 seconds of conversation, I know that your VSO is good, right? So that's, that's that's you have to gauge that, right? There's definitely no VSO meter out there. But, uh, 
yeah, you have to gauge that. And if you don't feel at, at the end of the day, if you don't feel comfortable with the VSL, find another VSL. Like it's it's not the end of the world. Oh, that's true. Yeah, there's there's plenty of them out there, and there's some that will do a, a, a darn good job for you. So now, when it comes to the actual claims, that an interesting one for you. What are the most common claims that people are getting out mm. there? All right. So off the top of my head, I'm going to say tinnitus. So off the top of my head, I knew you were going to say that one. The VA publishes a report every single year. I just read 2022, maybe a couple of weeks ago, and tinnitus was on there. It was back pain. I think it was lumbar strain specific, specifically, which is like lower back pain. Um, mental health, so anything from PTSD, depression, anxiety, major depressive disorder, all of those things. Is traumatic under- brain injury included in that, or is that rated something differently? Yeah, so TBI is included sometimes. And just to, to give a, a quick breakdown on this, is the VA rates symptoms. They don't actually rate diagnosis, right? And so that's why PTSD, depression, and anxiety are all the same. Because if you have PTSD, you're probably going to have symptoms of high anxiety, right? You might be depressed. You might have suicidal thoughts. And all those three symptoms are the same. When it comes to TBI, which is a weird one, TBI can also share the same symptoms. And if that's the case, then TBI will just be roped under your PTSD, right? Or or depression or anxiety. But TBI can also have other symptoms. Like um, brain damage, like actual brain damage, um, memory loss, but in in like a in a very extreme form of me- memory loss, migraines, um, neurological, like physical neurological yeah, yeah, issues, yeah. Stuff e- any like that too, any yeah. sort of like makes sense. I'm not a doctor, but any sort of like fluid that's weird up in there, okay, that's definitely related to TBI. That's not related to PTSD. So in that instance. Like, for instance, if you were in an IED blast and you have TBI um, from that, you're probably going to have PTSD, too. And so in that case, you can have separate PTSD ratings and TBI ratings. But I I would say those are the top three um, most commonly claimed tinnitus. And you can throw hearing loss in there, too. Those are two different disabilities, tinnitus and hearing loss, but conditions of the ear, um, lower back pain, and then mental health disabilities for sure what are the what would you say are some of the easiest Mm. for most people to claim that is a loaded question so Uh, (laughs) when it comes to easiest um i'll i'll approach it like this and then and then i'll 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 give you clay sims's answer right (laughs) the easiest claim to submit a claim for is one that you have medical evidence for Period. Doesn't matter what it is. As long as you have medical evidence from service, you have a current diagnosis, you have service connection, easy peasy, lemon squeezy, Smith to claim, right? Um, but now that's the real answer. I'll give you Clay Sims's answer. If I was to pick three of the easiest claims, I would say tinnitus, right? Because how do you diagnose for tinnitus, right? I have ringing in my ears. Okay. Check mark diagnosis. Um, I would also say migraines. You can't take an x-ray or an MRI of your migraine. Okay. And so if you do, yeah, if you do have migraines, there is a way to get evidence for migraines, like a buddy letter or a lay statement would be a great example. And then frequent visits to to your doctor, medication for migraines, stuff like that is evidence. 
but you can't take an x-ray. You can't take Good an point. x-ray of tinnitus either. Yeah, his, history would be important on that one. Yeah, history yeah. of medication and stuff, yeah. Yeah, so tinnitus, memory loss, and then my third one, if I had, if I really had to dig for a third easiest claim, I would say probably skin skin conditions like acne, right? Acne, really? Acne. Oh yeah. If you have acne, now most acne can um, service connected conditions that I've seen just across hundreds of veterans that I come across, it's normally rated at zero percent, right? And the reason why is because you can take medicine, you can take Accutane, you can take creams. It heals them up. Boom, your symptoms are gone. Okay. I mean, plus, you know, I mean, every rating is dependent on how it affects you. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, like, I mean, acne, like, how does it really affect you? It might be kind of annoying on your skin. And oh, yeah. It might help, help hurt your self-esteem, I guess. But, yeah, like, no, no. It's I, not like it's incredibly painful, I guess. I, then again, i very fortunate. Yeah. I guess I didn't, I've never really had a lot of acne. So, you brought up a great point that <laughs> we're, we're, I'm, I'm going to get to right after this. But um, there are disabilities that have medication a part of it, right? Like sinusitis, if you take medication for sinusitis, um, obviously you've been diagnosed, you have it, but just taking medication, I believe is 10%, right? Whereas acne, if you take medication in 38 CFR, that is not a severity of symptom, which is why it's commonly rated at 0%, right? Um, unless you have like a very, a very extreme case of acne, and it talks about the portions of the body, how much does it cover, and that's really whenever you get rating for acne. But you said something. You said acne might hurt your self-esteem, but that's about it, right? Which is a huge, huge implied question there. It's like, okay, if acne is rated at 0%, why would I go through the trouble of claiming acne, right? Now I'll tell you why. If you Secondary? are depressed, yeah, if you are depressed or um, – your acne causes you to not take your shirt off at the beach. You can't, let's say you have kids and they go to swim lessons. You can't, you know, enjoy the swim lesson with your kid, whatever the case may be. Okay. Um, that you could link. It's definitely possible to link depression secondary to acne. So now the 0% acne claim maybe got you a 50% depression claim, right? So that's, that's when you would consider, um, zero percent service yeah i mean so the same thing would work for somebody who has um you know somebody who's an amputee burn marks scars yeah anything along those lines where you know showing that off in public or something like that could cause mental absolutely and it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be like a visual like an amputee or acne that's something you can see it could be lower back pain you know hey my back i can't play baseball with my son because my back hurts too much no one can see that but if you have the medical evidence to support that if you've create that medical trail you talk to your healthcare doctor you you go for counseling for depression on your back you always reference your back you're creating this correlation between your back and depression what you're missing is causation and that's when it comes to a nexus statement right from a cmp examiner or from a private doctor but yeah gotcha. that's that's a solid solid point awesome now now i asked you what the most common were and what the easiest so i want to flip the script a little bit <laughs> yeah because obviously some claims are easier but some of them are have got to be extremely difficult to get i already know my number one (laughs) yeah so what would be the top you know two or three 
that if somebody is going to try and claim them, they need to be aware that they are in for a battle and it is yeah. going to be tough to get it claimed. Two of them off the top of my head. I know one sleep apnea and um, sleep apnea is like a coin flip. Okay. And first let's talk about direct to service. If you're in service, if you're in the military right now watching this, go get a sleep study done. Whatever you have planned for next week, drop it, go get a sleep study. If you're out of service, and you don't have that sleep study, you don't have medical evidence in service, nine times out of 10, you submit a sleep apnea claim. You'll be given a sleep study. You'll be, you'll be going all through all the tests and you'll get diagnosed. Hey brother, you, you need, you need a CPAP, right? You have some serious sleep, sleep apnea, but it's not service connected. Okay. And but if it is service connected, CPAP is what? 50%? 50%. Am I correct? Yes. Okay. There are proposed changes that aren't in effect yet. So don't even worry about that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I just happened to know that. Oh yeah. But, yeah. Okay. So, so without the study in service. Exactly. It's going to, it's going to be it's easy for the VA to just be like, yeah, well we got, we have no connection there. Like, Absolutely. There's, there's just nothing there. Okay. Absolutely. Which forces veterans to get an independent medical opinion and a private nexus letter from a doctor. Right. And even then, because sleep apnea um, sleep apnea can be linked to PTSD, but there is no solid proof saying if you have PTSD, 100% you have sleep apnea, right? There's no medical study. There's not enough evidence behind PTSD to actually, it correlates with sleep apnea. It doesn't cause sleep apnea, right? Those are two different things. And so really when you're looking at sleep apnea secondaries, you want to grab multiple conditions that contribute, that all correlate. Because if everything's pointing this way, it's at least got to be somewhere over here. So PTSD right? can be connected to it. What else? What else can be connected to? I would sleep say high, hypertension, high blood pressure, um, tinnitus, okay. um, or it, and uh, um, there's also certain deployments like campaigns that are historically linked to sleep apnea, like going to Iraq and OIF or OEF and Afghan or OIR, and so if you have PTSD. You have OEF or OIF or OIR or all three of them, um, and you have hypertension, you have tinnitus. Now what the doctors can do is grab multiple things that correlate. None of them cause it. None of those cause sleep apnea, right? <laughs> but if you have – if everything's pointing that way, it's very hard for the VA to be like, eh, nah, it's over here. You're like, okay, dude. Um, Makes so a lot of sense, yeah. That's number one. That's, that's probably the hardest secondary claim. Um, and my, the second one that I think of off the top of my head, I'm going to say hypertension. It's very difficult to prove hypertension. And, and something I see that's very common in veterans is they'll be like, hey, I got a high blood pressure reading. I want to I wanna submit a claim for, for hypertension. And having a high blood pressure reading and having hypertension are two separate things, right? I mean, you, you might you could just be all like worked up or something yeah. by being in the doctor's office. And I had some Starbucks. The elevator wasn't working. I had I know, right? three flights of stairs, and now I got a high blood pressure. Yeah, reading, you just right? had three shots of espresso in that Starbucks uh, dark roast, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, if you look at the 38 CFR for hypertension, you'll see that the 38 CFR demands three different blood pre pressures within the same day over multiple periods of time. Right. You have to have, you have to show, hey, I consistently have high blood pressure and that's hypertension. 
Another factor of hypertension is it can be medicated, right? And so now, now you're in the position of, well, if I have my CMP exam, do I not take my high blood pressure medicine, right? And high blood pressure is serious, right? We're talking like this can kill you, okay? And so by no means do you skip out on your medication to get a higher blood pressure reading. And that, that's kind of where you'll see, you'll see hypertension ratings at 0%. And really, when it comes to your health, you do not want that, right? Take the medicine. Don't deal with it. You don't want that. If you have it, by all means, submit the claim, right? Um, but that is, that is, that's a bad one to have. You know, I thought you were going to go the direction, like, you know, with hypertension. When I think about things like hypertension and cholesterol and, and things like that, sometimes I just think about, like, what we do in our society. Like, we're Americans. Let's just face it, mm -hmm. right? We have a McDonald's and a Taco Bell on every corner. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> we, we don't eat the cleanest or the healthiest, okay? We don't eat like some other... Uh, cultures around the world and other countries, you know, are eating lean meat and healthy food and lots of vegetables in our diet. It's all garbage and chemicals and fast food. Like, yeah. you know, like, so, I mean, there, I, I could imagine there could be part of that too, especially if you've been out for like 20 years and like, Oh, well, I want hypertension. And it's like, well, you've been out for 20 years and you've got no connection. And you know, you're 150 pounds overweight. Yeah. Like, it, like, same for sleep apnea too, right? That time gap goes, you gain, you're, you're considered obese. And now the VA is like, well, is that from service or is it because you're fat, right? Like, like you're, you're, there's no definitive answer. Same with hypertension. I will say this about hypertension though, is it definitely, um, hypertension is under the PACT Act for our Vietnam era veterans and the Korea veterans as well. Um, so if you have direct contact with Agent Orange, there's some other chemicals listed in PACT Act. Um, but if you have dealt with that and you have a diagnosis, it's instant service connection for that. So I'm glad you mentioned PACT Act because that was the last thing I wanted to get to with some yeah. of the latest legislation. I was telling somebody the other day, they said something about, you know, the VA and processes. And this is where we can actually, well, not just to the VA, we can give some... We can give some props to our elected officials over the last couple of years for getting, I think, getting some shit right. And like the Blue Water Navy Act. Oh, yeah. Finally getting those guys some recognition uh, between that and the PACT Act. I think what we got about both of those happened in the last year, year and a half, mm -hmm. something like that. So what should people know about, first of all, the Blue Water Navy Act, if they happen to be Vietnam veterans and, and would fall in that category? Yeah, so the best the best thing to do when it comes to legislation for VA disability claims is just Google Blue Water um, Act disabilities, all right? And if you have a diagnosis, boom, you have service connection. That's it. All you need is a diagnosis. There's going to be some parameters like in the PACT Act and the um, if you meet, I think it's, it's deployed to Afghan um, or Iraq after 2001, you meet presumptive um, conditions, right? So all you need is a diagnosis. You have the time frame. That's it. I think a lot of people, because when it comes to legislation, it is complicated. It's confusing. But to make it as easy as possible, get a diagnosis, look at your DD-214, put those together, boom, you win the claim. It's it's that simple. Yeah, I don't know. Like on the PACT Act, if you are in Iraq or Afghanistan, you're 
and you have one of those, you're you're pretty much golden. What oh, about yeah. like Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, UAE, Qatar, Kuwait? Any, any... Yeah, so there is a list of countries. The PACT Act's broken down into three categories, right? If you go to va.gov, you'll see the Gulf War era, which is everything from Desert Shield, Desert Storm, like in Kuwait, early days Iraq, um, to OIR in Syria, right? And so Kuwait's on there, Iraq, Afghan, Syria. There's like five other countries, right? Um, all those are on there. And another category is the Vietnam era, right? And you can click on that link. It'll talk to you about hypertension, talk, talk to you about Agent Orange and other chemicals that were used. And Korea is kind of roped in that Vietnam era as well. And the third category of PACT Act is the Camp Lejeune water. Um, so if you were in Camp Lejeune during the specific time frames um, and you have a diagnosis that's on the PACT Act uh, presumptive list, that's it. Submit the claim, you win. Yeah, so anybody who's listening or watching, if, if that's you, you definitely need to go check that out. Because I looked at it just again the other day, and I want to say what is there for Iraq and Afghanistan veterans. There's like 13 cancers or something like that, and almost another like 12 or 13 other diseases uh, that are, I think, mostly respiratory. Oh, yeah, like, like burn pits, like COPD, asthma. asthma like oh god probably gonna totally mispronounce the names but like cytonitis or whatever yeah um a lot of a lot of breeding stuff i, I was i was re i was because <laughs> i'm not a medical professional i was like googling them and i'm like oh that's weird that sounds terrible like weakening of the weakening of the lining of the lungs and then like oh yeah stuff growing in your lungs and i'm like that sounds terrible that sounds worse that sounds oh <laughs> if i had if i had to guess which We'll find out next year, but if I had to guess which pack that claims will be claimed most, I would say asthma probably will be number one for the Gulf War era. Um, I would say high, uh, hypertension would probably be number one for Vietnam, right? And so to, to add on what, what you said, like if you went to Afghan, Iraq, Kuwait, Syria, wherever, um, and you have asthma, 10, year, 10 years later you have asthma, you get that diagnosed – Submit the claim. That's it. You win. Asthma. Boom. Check mark. Done. And so that's what the PACT Act does. It makes service connection easier. That's all it does. And it, it's it's very huge um, for Vietnam vets, right? That have been battling with Agent Orange and hypertension for what fifty plus years now. Um, and it's going to be very huge for asthma, rhinitis, sinusitis, stuff like that. Yeah, I, you know, I think what what's really big especially with all the burn pits that we're operating too, is the cancers, mm -hmm. you know, because I knew some people that I served with that, you know, ended up with brain cancer and there's been a high profile cases that have been, you know, brought to the forefront in the news of people who come down with different cancers because, you know, they, they felt like they were linked to the burn pits. So like, it's a very real thing, obviously, if it made it into the PAC deck. So oh, to yeah. have that protection for those kind of things in there that like it, it's in law. Yeah, it's, it's huge. It's 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 in there. Like it, it it's massive. Those Vietnam veterans, hell, the Blue Water Navy guys waited fifth on like almost fifty five years mm -hmm. to get protections for Agent Orange. You know, I mean, for our generation to just just a few years to to get some yeah. protections. I mean, that's that's a step in the right direction. That's why I say we we yeah. It, it's weird to say this, but we should we should give a round of applause to our elected officials for doing something right. 
<laughs> on on top, yeah, no, you're right, you're right. I totally agree with that. On top of that, there's more VA employees, there's more VA raiders. It's a. I'm not saying the VA is this golden unicorn, okay, <laughs> but um, it's better than it was, right? Uh, the the every you know the sentiment is the Iraq Afghan vets of today are the Vietnam vets of yesterday, right? And so when we're old and crusty. Um, we're basically going to be the new Vietnam era vets. Um, but instead of battling for disability, now we have the PACT Act. And so, for instance, I'm 30 years old right now. I have no asthma. I have no respiratory issues that I know of, at least. Um, but 20 years down the road, I get asthma. Guess what? It's service connected, right? That's what the PACT Act does. I, and it's not, not a question. It's like, oh, you got asthma? Boom. Service connection. Yeah, that's definitely where it's great. I mean, because it's there already, mm-hmm. unlike those Vietnam veterans who could not get any protections. And unfortunately, the guys and gals who got or had issues and died from them yeah. and never got the care, the recognition, the the reimbursement that, you know, from disability that they should have gotten just because, you know – there never was anything for them. Oh yeah. That also reminds me that there's two sides of the PACT Act. We talked about the disability side. There's a whole healthcare side of the PACT Act um, that offers healthcare to exactly that situation, right? If you're a veteran and you meet PACT Act presumptives, you now have healthcare for free. You don't have to pay for it. And so it opens up, PACT Act has opened up healthcare to millions of veterans um, mainly our Vietnam veterans, right, that had a, a sour taste because how the sentiment of the military is today, it's a billion times better than how it was to the Vietnam era veterans, right? When, when Vietnam veterans came home, um, they got spit on, right? They, they definitely weren't, if you were to compare Iraq Afghan veterans to Vietnam veterans, we got treated like kings, okay, compared to that Vietnam era. And so they may Vietnam veterans may not have filed for any disability claims because they tried. I know know some that never still have 55 years later. They tried once they got denied and was like, well, fuck it, dude. You know, this country, blah, blah, blah. I serve, blah, blah, blah. They don't care about us, blah, blah, blah. Right. It's the same story, different person. And so luckily and, and very fortunately, that's not something that. You know, OEF, OIF, and OIR veterans and Desert Storm veterans don't have to deal with, um, at least not to the scale of the Vietnam era. Yeah, well, we've proven that we can take care, <clears throat> we can do something to take care of the vets we have now and put something, you know, set up something for those people who may unfortunately develop something over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Because let's just face it, we, we you know, we'll always need a military. The yeah. next generation that kids will come up will end up serving. God forbid that they have to go serve in combat, but they'll have to serve. They'll get their bumps and bruises too, whether or not they go into combat or not. But, you know, I mean, you could have not saw combat and still have problems for Camp Lejeune Water, right? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you know, no matter where you're at, what you're exposed to, those things can follow you for the rest of your life. So, you know, I, hopefully we have learned that there are ways that you can do some things and set up things to take care of that generation, you know, before they get into their seventies and retirement age. So absolutely. I mean, a it's, it's very easy to go to the combat side of the house when you're talking about disability, right? 
Um, but make no mistake, just because you didn't see combat does not mean you're not eligible, right? Yeah. In a very extreme case of military sexual trauma is a pretty serious event that's going to lead to some very serious debilitating disabilities, right? And same thing with a car accident. You got in a car accident when you're 19 years old, active duty, you broke your ankle. Guess what? When you're 40, bro, that ankle is going to hurt a lot, okay? And so claim it. You're, tw you're 22, you're 23 years old, you broke your ankle, claim it. You might get 0%, right? But when you're 40 and 50, that 0% might turn into something else, right? Yeah, I, I didn't even break my ankle. I twisted my ankle like four times when I was in. Went to the doctor like twice, and it was just in my records, my initial claim. I got 0%, still at 0%. Yeah. Once or twice a year, I'll twist it, and it'll be a little sore, wrap it up. You know, it'll be better in a couple of days. But, hey, you know, it's claimed. Absolutely. In case it ever gets worse, you never know. God forbid it does, but, you know, you never know when you slip and twist on some ice or something like that, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, you know, you had a good point, like, too, like, you know, you don't have to go to combat to, to experience some things. The PACT Act, too, there's some legislation in there, too. I can't remember what years it was. Cold War era. Um, there was, and I'm sure there's a very small group of guys that this qualifies for, but nuclear cleanup efforts. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, like, when I read that, I was like, I never even heard of these disasters, you know, and these guys were going in, they're cleaning up this radiation and all these things that happened and exposed to all this stuff. And it's like, man, I, I'm a history buff. And I didn't even know about that. Yeah. Like, and for them to get, you know, care, you know, 50, 60, 70 years later, you know, better late than never, I guess. So. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it, it really does. It really sucks for the Vietnam era vets, right. And, and the cold war era. I mean, it really does suck that the pact act, got implemented in 2022 and then, you know, started submitting claims or adjudicating claims in 2023, that part sucks, but at least it's here. Right. So, uh, yeah, like I said, better late than never. I mean, yeah. it's something. So, well, Clayton, I appreciate you coming on here and sharing with us. There's a plethora of nuggets of information for people to check out. Um, if, if anybody wants to check out your, your YouTube channel, I've got a scroll across the bottom. I'll have it in the show notes as well. So have no fear, people. As you know, I always put it in the show notes. Uh, so if you're watching, listening, it's down there. I highly, highly encourage everybody to go check it out. Um, any other way people can reach out to you or check out your content? I know you got a TikTok too. Yeah, you can hit me up on TikTok. I have a Gmail. Um, time is pressed. Everything I do is free, right? Um, so if you send me an email at thesivdiv at gmail.com, I will help you one-on-one -on -one with your claim. Um, and I answer those first come, first serve, right? So shoot me an email. I can at least give you advice. I'll help you I'll help you find a VSO to submitting a claim by yourself. Would, wherever you fall within that spectrum, I can help. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. Like I, you know, like you said, if you if you need help finding a finding a VSO or got some questions, make sure you reach out. Definitely go check out his content. Got a lot of good stuff on there about even some of the questions. It breaks down even more than we talked about today. So thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, th thanks for having me. Appreciate it. There you go, folks. I hope you enjoyed. Remember, you can go to my website and check out all kinds of information and resources at battlebuddypodcast.net. And as I always say, if you have something on there or have something you think should be on there that's not, please reach out and let me know. And if you're struggling today, remember this National Suicide Hotline number is now 988-PRESS-1.